Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ooh, I got the jitters because I drank a boost with caffeine in it, and I've got the, the jolts. On top of coffee? Well, I had coffee this morning, but I had the boost like an hour ago. Have you ever had Celsius? No, but like I know what it is. Energy drink. The one time I've had a Celsius, not only was I seeing double, but my <laughs> my ass cheek muscles started trembling. <laughs> See, yeah, that's so weird because I love Celsius. Like before, it's such a good like pre workout, but it's also terrible for you. You got sound waves going on your end. We're we're making sure everything's getting good and recorded. Yeah, two minutes and thirty seconds of you talking about your ass. Wait, <laughs> 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 I'm coughing. All right. Here we go. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. You've got a nerve developed sense of vengeance. Inconceivable! Let's talk. Princess Bride on the pod today. Let's talk about the giant Andre. Princess Bride on the pod today. Rob Reiner was a great big fan of a fairy tale novel by William Goldman. He told him he wanted to make it into a movie. He cast Robin Wright, Carrie Elway's Mandy Patinkin It got critical acclaim, but the box office was stinking Who knew it would be such a cult hit on cable TV? And video, let's talk! Princess Bride on the pod today! William Goldman wrote the screenplay Lampooning the old cliché Princess Bride on the pod today How Rob Reiner fucking slayed Princess Bride on the pod today All cinema possessed Nice 
tough notes on that one. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And I am Justin Montoya. Ooh. <laughs> and with us, as always, is the Princess Bride of this podcast. Okay. Corey I feel Clifford. like Jack's like trying to like butter me up the past two <laughs> podcasts. Because I was for sure. Wallace Shawn. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Andre the Giant, but then I thought he knows not to oh, do that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a death sentence. <laughs> Uh, and each week we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place in the shelf or prepare to die. Nice. Mandy Patinkin. Ah, uh, what a stud. Folks, it's the Patinkin Winkin. Maybe I'm about to have me some fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, canceled. That song's canceled. Um, uh, that's a bummer. I know. It really That'd is. be really embarrassing if that song you just mentioned, the R. Kelly song you mentioned was um, canceled because R. Kelly's canceled. If Jack made that the intro song of the pod and he he just found out at the end of after doing all the work that, that yeah. he can't sing. I'm like, song. wait, what? He's what? <laughs> just didn't hadn't heard of it at all. Oh God! There was a We'd time have more issues to talk about if that was the case. Before before I had found the Coldplay song, the scientist to do for the Exorcist, I was entertaining the idea of doing remix to Ignition for that, so I could say it's the Friedkin weekend. Uh, that was the only reason why I wanted to, but I was like, I can't. You can't. This is- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> such a such a bop that just simply can never be played again. I know. Well, maybe if I do a version of it where I make it about the Patinkin weekend, then maybe. we can all just get on board with that version of it, and that can become the maybe. new. Manny Patinkin's kind of had a like um, resurgence again for the younger generation because he kind of got really popular on TikTok. For what? Um, his son. Like during the pandemic, I don't know if he like moved in with his parents or whatever, but he just started like videoing his dad doing things. And Mandy Patinkin's just a very cute, funny man. Mm-hmm. And him and his wife have a very cute relationship. Mm-hmm. And yeah, people just became really obsessed with them. And they became really, and there's this really famous TikTok that like really blew up of like a girl talking about Princess Bride and how it her father was dying and it like connected her to him and Mandy Patinkin watches it and he starts sobbing and he like sends this beautiful message back to her Mm -hmm. all about his relationship with his dad and it was just really beautiful and you just like you just know Mandy Patinkin that's a good guy voice of an angel do you really know do you know Patinkin from really anything else Broadway you know him from Broadway yes and Homeland I see I never I don't never watch Homeland Justin. Put no stinking clue over here. <laughs> really? Manny Patinkin? I knew him before. You only know him from this? Yeah. Before this, I knew him from wow. um, Dick Tracy. He plays 88 Keys. That was really the, that was a movie that I was obsessed with. So when I saw this, I was like, oh, this is the 88 Keys guy. Although I did see a good Mandy Patinkin movie recently with James Spader called The Music of Chance. Mm. It's a two-hander, James Spader, Mandy Patinkin. They decide they're going to go to this poker game and they're going to win it all. And let's just say things don't, don't things don't go <laughs> as expected. 
It's a movie, folks. They get into some trouble, but boy, did I enjoy it. The Music of Chance, check it out. It's probably on Tubi. He was like a really famous um, Sondheim actor. Yeah, I knew he was from Broadway. Like musical. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, his voice is... Do a little YouTube of that once this episode's done, (laughs) Justin. Well, speaking of uh, bops, Justin, what movie are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about 1987's The Princess Bride. Grandfather's here. Can't you tell me I'm sick? Hey, I was just sick. I brought you a special present. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. It was a time when life didn't seem so complicated. Marriage is what brings us together today. What? A courtly age of gentle conversation. I won't always come for you. But how can you be sure? This is true love. Oh, no. Is this a kissing book? No. Actually, there was a lot of treachery, peril, and revenge. Prepare to die. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> there were affairs of state. But I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilda to frame for it. I'm swamped. And affairs of the heart. My Wesley will always come for me. Your Wesley is dead. Take it away. It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. It's a story of love. A tale of adventure. It's as real as the feelings you feel. You're kissing again. Someday you may not mind so much. The Princess Bride. Not just your basic, average, everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, ho-hum fairy tale. Boy, what a fucking dirty dump of a trailer that is. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. Oh, but that shit. tune at the end, that was beautiful. The tune is awesome. Flute. Yeah. It's not that's not part of the movie though. That's not one of the I movie's know, that, tunes. That got me. Wow. What's a ho hum fairy tale? Ho hum, I think, means like, you know, Drap, run right? of the mill or something. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, ho-hum. Just never heard it used in a sentence. Yeah, well, that, that whole last part of it, too, it's just like too much words. It's too much of a mouthful. Yeah, the trailer's <laughs> terrible. It speaks to the this movie actually didn't do very well. It was critically reviewed well, but um, it it tanked at the box office because they, they didn't know how to market it. Apparently, they didn't even have a poster for it until the weekend of, of its premiere. You can hear that that trailer fucking sucks. What's, <laughs> that's not going to excite anybody to go see that movie. No. And on top of it, it opened the same weekend as Fatal Attraction, which completely ate its lunch. And so this movie didn't do well. It was it was totally came up uh, um, through the through the cult scene of cable television. Yeah. Well, especially just because I feel like this p- movie played on TV nonstop. Oh so yeah, it was always out. always on. I've, uh, I have no clue what you both think of this movie yet. This, yeah, we should tell I, the audience this was Justin's pick. I know everybody's going to think it's yeah. a me pick. But it was a Justin. Yeah, you wanted to do. This I needed movie. a array of sunshine in a fucking dark, <laughs> sad ass fucking world. Yep. Um, but <clears throat> I feel like this is a movie that no matter what you think of it, if you don't like the movie, people look at you funny. Like you're uh, you're weird if you don't like this movie. Yeah, I agree. Like you can have a legitimate reason to not like the movie. I just I think if someone hasn't seen it in a long time, if someone just saw it yesterday. 
they still love it just as much. Um, I haven't met a single person who's like going around being like that movie fucking sucks. <laughs> well, it does <laughs> it nothing to problems. make you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it, there's parts of the. I mean, this is like a a perfect combination of I feel like a children's movie that adults can like. But yeah, no, I mean, there's nothing to not like about this movie. I feel like. Well, oh, you agree? You don't like it? <laughs> I'm gonna go real cautious when I talk about this because you have to. You have yeah, to. I do. It's like I would rather publicly say I hate America than <laughs> than come out and yeah. talk critique of this movie. I'll say that I don't own this film. I've never owned it on physical media. I've all, before this viewing, I've only seen it on cable. Mm-hmm. Seen it a lot of times on cable. I've probably never sat down and watched it from beginning to end until this viewing, but everything I've seen, like I, I recognized all the parts of it and remembered. Um, there was always something about this movie that I didn't quite connect to. So I was very interested in actually doing this rewatch and sitting down and giving it my full attention because I was curious as to why it had never connected to me. Like it seems like it connects to everybody. Right. Um, I got some answers to that. And I, and I will say, I think this movie is fine i don't hate it by any means but i don't love the film and i do have some issues with it that i think are partly what the movie's bringing partly what pop culture has done to this movie yeah partly your own trauma and like self-growth and discovery that you need to do (laughs) sure i'll give you that i'll give you that and probably partly just my own tastes too um But before I dig too hard into that, I want to know, like, I'm also willing to be swayed a little bit into into appreciation. Uh, So I want to hear from you two, like, what is it about this movie that connects for you? (sighs) Well, as no surprise to anyone, what I was obsessed with in this movie growing up was Wesley. He was, I had, I was so like thought he was like the hottest guy I'd ever seen. Like mm-hmm. was obsessed with him. And I was boy crazy out the brain growing up. So I pretty much anytime I watched a movie with a guy, <laughs> I'd be like, I'm in love with him. I want to marry him. Yeah. But there was something so sexy about him to me. And there are problems with him in this movie that I'm like, oh, that's probably not great. But I I just thought he was and watching this today, I was like or yesterday, I was like, this guy is like the most beautiful. He's so beautiful in this movie. And everybody's so beautiful. Robin Wright is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I That was the other thing. You know, she's like blonde. I was blonde. Like, you know, it was just like very much as a kid could imagine myself yeah. being this. I would just pretend like I was her. Um, I think across the board, the casting is the casting v- is great. super good in this movie. And what I like about it, too, is that. Uh, it's a testament to that if you just cast well and cast appropriately, you can have an iconic movie that will last forever and 100%. rake in money for a long time because none of these actors, outside of Billy Crystal, who plays the smallest role ever, and Andre the Giant, who also isn't the lead of the film, none of these other actors were very well known, certainly not superstars. Yeah. If a movie like this happened today, they would require that a big star yeah, it would be a pop star that played Buttercup. They would want everybody to yeah. be a big star. And the fact that like most of these people were pretty unknown and to see how much this movie has touched the culture and how it's kind of all of these people's sort of initial calling cards. It's just like, that's the lesson that should be taken from this is like mm-hmm. cast, right? Don't yeah. just cast 
because it's people have already a big name. You know? And I think that's also part of why like I loved it so much too is because I generally thought it was so funny as a kid and watching it as an adult, I don't know if it's nostalgia mm-hmm. or if I actually do, but like think that this is it's not like brilliantly funny, but the jokes still hit, I think. And the nostalgia of me really, really hits. Yeah. Um, and it's just a it's just a classic feel good movie. Do you have a lot of nostalgia for this movie, Justin? Was this big for you as a kid? No, I I resonated with what you said. I uh, always saw this movie in bits and pieces, was familiar with all the uh, quotes and one-liners and fragments of it from seeing it on television, Mm -hmm. but uh, never sat down to watch it from beginning to end until like a few years ago. I think the movie does a good job of giving you that feeling of nostalgia, even if you don't have mm-hmm. nostalgia for it. Yeah. I think the through line with uh, Freddie Mercury uh, is pretty great. <laughs> Who are you even Fred Sa- talking Fred about? Savage. Fred Savage. <laughs> I think Fred Savage um, is so funny in this movie. I love him. Yeah. Yeah. He's so he brings cute. His, he, he always brings a level of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was pre-Wonder fact, Years, too. This is, this is his, I think, like his first big movie. Yeah. There's a Chicago component to it, yeah. I think. Yeah. He's wearing They're a like Bears a po- uniform. He's yeah. got Chicago Bears posters. The grandpa feels Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the, this this gimmick of uh, a grandfather reading a story to um his grandson i think i came into the movie worried that that was going to be hokey and i came away feeling pretty good about it i do um want to share some insight from the book which i got through half of the book cool um and it plays with that in a in a more interesting way oh yeah from what i read i felt like that there was there's a deeper satire going on in the book than there is Oh my God, there's a whole other onion layer to the book that's so brilliant and I wasn't expecting it. So it threw me off and took me a long time to understand what (laughs) What you what you were the context of what you're reading. (laughs) I couldn't tell what was real and what was what was made up. Wait, so explain a little. The author of the book. William Goldman. Yeah, is this the screenwriter? (laughs) The screenwriter wrote the book. And he's written other movies before. Yeah, he wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and All the President's Men. Yeah, exactly. And so he is playing himself in the book. There's technically a grandfather figure. He alludes to the fact that his grandfather used to read him this book. But the premise of The Princess Bride, the book, is that the author and screenwriter, William Goldman, playing himself a successful Hollywood screenwriter, is obsessed with this book, a fictional book called The Princess Bride um, in this Hollywood world. And he used to have his grandfather used to read it to him or no, his father used to read it to him. Someone used to read it to him. And the way that this person read it to them, who was like an immigrant or first generation, they would skip all the boring parts. So the book Princess Bride that we're reading that the author and the screenwriter, William Goldman, reads to you is him editing the book for you in the way that his grandfather used to read him the book, cutting out all the boring parts from the book. <laughs> right. I know that was really confusing and that was yeah. a mouthful. It's like yeah. a meta-layered it, kind of it's so Russian doll of a, of a story. Yeah. So Princess Bride, basically, let me try again. Princess Bride is a real fictional book in the <laughs> in the book world real yeah. world yeah. of hollywood los angeles hollywood california 
And it's really long and really boring. But because his dad read it to him, skipping all that shit, he decides to make his next book an adaptation, an abridged version of The Princess Bride. So you get all this really funny backstory of him in Hollywood uh, trying to track down this book and having phone calls with his agents. And, and that's part of, of the book that's not real life, real life. Not, yeah. None of it is real. Yeah. Like yeah, but this, he's playing himself. There is no real movie. <laughs> yeah, he's referencing these movies yeah. that he actually. But he apparently, like, he, like in real life, William Goldman has daughters, but in the book, he has a son, and you know, he's he's make all of it is fiction. But he's it's like Charlie yeah. Kaufman writing himself an adaptation. He's okay. creating yeah. a fictional story, but about yeah. himself, and yeah. and he's having like a little bit of an existential crisis, and he wants to like reconnect with his childhood, and he wants his son to fall in love with this book. So he part of it is like he's doing this project for himself but he's also doing it to share it with his son but his son doesn't really like the book yeah it's pretty fucking funny it sounds good i want to read it yeah based on everything i i read about it i was like this sounds actually very interesting to me honestly i started to get bored once it started to go go into the actual fantasy world (laughs) (laughs) well and i wanted to ask y'all do you do you look when you watch the movie do you see this movie as a satire like does it feel like a satire to you when you watch it yeah. yeah, it does to me a little bit, but it but it almost like only up to a point because it doesn't really feel now. I want to say I appreciate that in a sense, because I think if they were to make this movie nowadays, I know you have a big thing that you don't think that Americans can make satire. Right. I think they would make it way too on the nose and they would be the characters themselves would be referencing is like, we know we're in a fairy tale. And, you know, the princess bride would be like, I'm not just a passive bride. I'm a strong. You know, I like that the the movie doesn't ever like get that on the nose about it. Yeah. So I do appreciate that. But I will say just from a from an intellectual level, to me, the satire in the film really feels like it only goes about as far as like, there are certain things boys like to hear from their fairy tales and uh, certain things they don't want to hear, but maybe the things they don't want to hear are actually like good yeah. for them to hear. That's well, kind of feels like I the think, depth of it. I think what you're saying is true. And I think that they created an iconic straight up fairy tale. Yeah, it feels more like a itself. straightforward fairy tale yeah. to me. And it's just a funny fairy tale. I don't think you have to watch it as a satire. And honestly, I don't think you get any benefit from watching it as a satire. Right, right. Um, But the vibes that I, uh, just to circle back to your original question, why I like the movie isn't really more nuanced than just like, I love fantasy. Like, I know I like Lord of the Rings. You don't like. This gives me Monty Python vibes. It gives me never ending story. I thought the exact same thing I wanted to circle back to it this also gives me kind of the same feeling i had while watching labyrinth yeah i like get that it, mm-hmm. it is hitting that and labyrinth was not a movie i grew up watching yeah yeah um and this was so i think it gave me those feelings very yeah, strong right exactly i was gonna say labyrinth but without quite the oomph and the sure oomph, yes yeah the strength of labyrinth yes. but it, it has those warm cozy feelings it doesn't succeed yeah. in the same way labyrinth does I haven't seen Neverending Story recently enough uh, to know how those two compare exactly other than just the that feeling it, they both give me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I don't know. Like, I don't really... With the, Lord of the Rings might have been the last fantasy movie that I went and saw. I haven't really... 
connected to anything that came out because they're all it's like bridge of uh, to terabithia or yeah. maze like it's chronicles like maze of runners. narnia yeah chronicles of narnia everything is 3d and has cg and looks like a marvel movie and is based on a ya novel that i haven't read and i have a really hard time getting into that kind of stuff sure. now so i just miss this era of fantasy uh let things like legend you know ridley mm-hmm. scott's legend mm-hmm. yeah um willow where obviously there were a lot more practical elements to yeah. uh to it that you know we all love, uh love yeah i think and i i totally get that and i think that that's what most people connect to i think majority of people find the fantasy to to work on a very uh pure level of just like I enjoy this fantasy romance at its core. Watching it this time, I think revealed to me something that I've always felt about the movie. One is I when I compare it to something like The Labyrinth for instance, I get very engaged in that story. I'm emotionally pulled through with the story of Sarah trying to find her brother and stuff. I realized while watching it this time that like this movie, I think because of the nature of the of the format where it's this grandpa telling the story to his grandson, the grandson doesn't want to hear certain things. So he's skipping over certain stuff. He's moving quickly. This move, this movie goes very briskly through the story, particularly at the beginning. And I kind of find myself not really connecting with like the romance of it or the adventure of it because it's moving so quickly that it never quite uh convinces me. I kind of just feel like I'm watching it, but I'm not like thrilled or excited by where the movie's going until it, honestly until uh Inigo Montoya pops up. He's the one who kind of like gets me invested in the movie because he has such a strong motive and backstory mm-hmm. and intention for what he's going through that even as a comedic thing, it still like emotionally clicks with me in a way that like the Buttercup and Wesley story just never quite does and even all the stuff about like you know we're going to kidnap her to start a war between these two countries i never really feel the tension of that war it just feels like plot that's just to get it, us that's to I mean. the funny things of how he's wesley's gonna be that's what i mean so there's just a quality of this movie that i think even as a kid i was always just sort of watching but never quite engaging with and i could feel that on this viewing that's one thing that i think is keeping me at a distance from it and i have to be honest i I think the movie's very charming and it's very breezy, but I don't find it very funny. There were a few moments where I laughed out loud, but for the most part, I didn't. And I will, I have to admit that part of that is this movie definitely falls under a similar category as something like Pulp Fiction, where it's been a little bit cannibalized by its fans in a way that feels a little overexposed, maybe a little obnoxious at this point. And so I can't help but, you know, in the moment when the wedding chap- wedding ceremony is happening and he says, marriage, I can't help but think of when The Office referenced it and when the, the, the cringy YouTube videos of like theater kids getting married and they have their officiant saying, marriage brings us together. And it just, it, I'm like, now I don't really like this part yeah, because you're, you're I know, and I, I'm not OG. blaming the movie. I'm not blaming the movie. I'm just, I'm having to acknowledge that that's the way I feel uh-huh. through a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And, um, but so, do you feel that way with Mandy Patinkin? Like my name is Oscar or I no, can't even do not, it. not really. No, they, I, 
what is his name? Montoya. Inigo Montoya. Montoya. For the most part, he is what's keeping me in the movie. Yeah, I he have is, to be honest. I, yeah, he's the. I feel like he's the driving force. He's the standout to me. But you know, in general, too, it's even watching the special features for this. Did you watch like any of the making ofs or anything like that? No, I, I didn't have any access to it, but I was uh, itching to get my hands on that Criterion. Yeah, I mean, this movie's on Criterion, too, mm-hmm. so that tells you something mm-hmm. about the, the nature of where this stands in pop culture. But the way the cast and crew self-mythologize this movie, they're all so... I understand being proud of a movie, but they're out there being like, this is our generation's Wizard of Oz. And Carrie Ells is like, you know... None of us knew we were going to be in one of the greatest movies ever made. In fact, I'd say it was inconceivable. Well, it's he's like, a that's cheese the way they talk okay. about this you, movie. Okay, but please, Manny Patinkin, who I think you is cannot, great. You cannot compare. Carrie Ellis is a goober. <laughs> Manny a, Patinkin, when, when, when we all saw him in Saul, the original, we knew this man this is the was way no Mandy longer pa- the Wesley that we once loved. Okay. This is the way Mandy Patinkin sit, talks about it. Well, Mandy Patinkin is a treasure so watch your <laughs> I think fucking he's fucking mouth. great in the movie I want to preface this by saying I think he's fucking great his whole thing he's like on the first page of the script when it introduced my character it said Inigo Montoya he's the best sword fighter in the world and so that's what I became. Okay, Dude. well, Mandy Patinkin <laughs> is a theater kid. Sorry, I've, I'm the, taking myself well, a grave. You really out. are. I want to point. I want to point out how <laughs> how proud they are of their work. Yes, no, please. How go. hypocritical you could be sometimes that like you geek out over this shit all the fucking time. It's one when thing it's to geek out. No, let Justin when talk. It's a, when it's a movie that you love or a movie that you connect with, uh, this shit you eat these bonus features up. Uh-huh. You eat the cheese up. But it's a, and it's the. It, I, but oftentimes they're not going on there being like, I'd made the best thing in the We're world. We're coming off of a movie, The Frighteners, where Peter Jackson thought this was such a good movie <laughs> that he made himself oh. a four hour long documentary where years That's later true. he went back and interviewed every single person. Nobody asked him to do this. he's not out there saying it's the yeah. best movie in he's the world when these effects. He's out there making a, a four he's hour documentary. He's showing warts and all. Jack, he's making he's a showing four. The movie and is an hour and 45 minutes and he made a four Dude, and a half hour long documentary, which is fine. people care about what they're doing, when yes. people believe in what I they're agree. doing, that's and what you they do. Want... And that's what you do I too. Agree. I love that. And also your interview, the, so many of these special features are interviewing these people years later after this has already become the thing mm-hmm. and they know Carol Ells mm-hmm. knows that this is whatever I, his name yeah, is knows that this is the thing that he is known for so of course it's the thing he's most proud of are you going to this people who the freaking guy in that vampire movie who plays the saxophone he he goes to every monster palooza and yeah. signs fucking autographs there <laughs> like let that man live let Carrie Ells have the sexy it. sax man he, sexy sax man practice <laughs> 40 hours a yes. week for five years. He doesn't even role. have a line in that fucking movie. Okay. And he is going to, and he's making his living buying houses off of that scene. Let Carrie Ellis have his brilliant will acknowledge, best thing he ever did. I will acknowledge it's not very fair for me to point to all the minutiae around the movie and blame the movie for it. And I don't. I don't blame the movie for it. All I'm saying is sometimes it's hard for me to push that stuff out, especially, you know, when I'm trying to like learn about it. I'm trying to find appreciation for it by watching the bonus features. And it pinged me a little bit that I was like getting perturbed by the bonus features. But it, but it did. They were right. I know they, they were, were right. right it became, it, dude, it's so huge. Everybody. I, mean, I know. The I reason know. why I said what I said was because... 
it's just funny to me what that you are you're being honest and i yeah. think uh i feel this, very exposed but, <laughs> yeah. talking this no, way no, no, about no, this I, movie I'm, <laughs> I'm not criticizing you i'm just i'm highlighting that like i want to emphasize like this is such a well-beloved movie it is yeah I, I don't know if it deserves to have as much praise as it does but i think that's a very special thing and so but when you bring up the feelings that you have like with pulp fiction in this or when something is so overdone or part of pulp pop culture or a meme even the exorcist you talked about this on the exorcist mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. talked about linda blair um you know like certain moments of that movie that have been parodied so yeah. much i have a feeling of of like wanting to discuss that in terms of like how art changes once people consume mm-hmm. it uh-huh. and can we can we do we what work do we have to do when we go back to a movie to be able to see it with new eyes yeah. and and it, it is just such a funny thing to point out how mass consumption of something has ruined your relationship. Yeah, I wouldn't put to, the full blame on it, but I, yeah. I do think had the movie, you know, the difference is, is that when every time I watch Pulp Fiction, I still get caught up in the movie enough to to then forgive what pop culture has done to it because I'm pulled into the movie enough to be like, but it still works great. Same thing with The Exorcist. And I think ultimately, if this movie was pulling me in more, I think I would be able to look past all that stuff. The ultimate problem is the movie just doesn't quite I think the biggest thing, though, too, is that you have never been a fantasy person. That's true, but I, but it doesn't stop me from liking from always loving the labyrinth. It doesn't stop me That's from loving true. Monty Python. And again, when it comes to Monty Python, I used to think that stuff was hysterical. I don't remember ever really laughing that hard at this movie. So it's a, it's a humor thing too. Like the the humor in this movie is well, maybe Monty a Python little was soft made more for, me. for adults, and Princess Bride was made for children. Exactly. I mean, and 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 I'm not trying to say like yeah. I always had an adult sense of humor or anything. It's just like <laughs> so much. There's something about this sense of humor that I find yeah. sort of charming and sweet, but not particularly like laughable to me. So it doesn't yeah, like why does it me... like why why do we have to approach it in that way? Like it's not Monty Python. It can never be Monty Python. No. They're they're two totally different things. Monty Python's rated R. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I, you know, I'm not trying to it, necessarily compare. I'm just saying yeah. why why certain things got me and certain things don't, and yeah. why certain things. I get didn't. it. I'm working. I'm also working through what I like about it because yeah. as you're saying that, I'm I'm feeling like yeah, I didn't. I don't laugh out loud um, hysterically through the movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, you laughed out loud it, at Billy Crystal. I, I'm not gonna lie. I laughed yeah. out. There was a few moments where I did laugh out loud, and I will I'll I'll highlight yeah. them when we go through it. And there are a lot of things about the movie that I do like. I don't. Again, I don't want to. I'm not a total hater on this movie. I'm just not a total lover of it either. Yeah, well, we just lost 5,000 <laughs> I, I mean, 5, honestly, subscribers. you joke, but I don't doubt it. Like, I don't <laughs> doubt that there's going to be people who listen to this that are, are getting mad. mad at what I'm saying. Because well, I know this no, is a sacred I mean, text. Listeners who are still with us, um, <laughs> Corey and I would like to issue you a formal apology. Yeah. We just want you to know there's going to be some things said on this podcast that we do not condone. Yeah, or, or agree with. Um, please don't come please after us. When you hear me and Corey speak, just do your best to try to like just be in our shoes and know that we're doing our best to yeah. navigate. We're fighting the, the good fight right now. That we're hearing Jack say. We're, we're, Corey and I are navigating this in real time. Yeah. Like, we're not perfect. We're human. 
Um, so we're doing the best we can. Did you? Well, did, sort of. there is. Okay, I'll. I, I'm going to try not to drag on it too much more, but there is one other aspect of the movie that d- is a detriment to it to me. <sighs> what? It's the music. Hmm. I think the music in this movie is really bad. I think the 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 main theme, the sort of love theme, is nice. I do. I, I kind of like that. But for the mm-hmm. most part, I was. Every time the score kicked in in this movie, which is frequently, I felt like it was bringing the scenes down. Um, the score was made by Mark Knopfler, who is the main guitarist of the Dire Straits. They did that song like, we are the sultans of swing. You know, they're, they got a bunch of classic rock songs. Let me, can I just play you a little clip? <laughs> yeah, yeah, play a clip. Here's, play a, a, clip. here's a clip of uh, a... Music that plays during one of the climactic sword fight sequences. (laughs) This shit sucks. This shit sucks. And it's all over the movie. (laughs) And I've realized in this podcast, as we talk about things, I get really jazzed on music. Music is a bear is a very important aspect of cinema to me. Really jazzed on it. Hey, you got me there. Horn ball over here. I I am a big appreciator of it, and I feel like I spend a lot of time each episode pointing out how much I like music being included in in the movies that we talk about. And this is a rare, maybe even the first time I've ever felt like it was bringing the movie down. Yeah. Everybody knows how much you love music, Jack. They hear you singing for 50% <laughs> of every podcast. <laughs> they, uh, I agree. That What you just played sounded fucking awful. It sounded like a, a Lucasfilms point and click like dragon uh, <laughs> dragon's lair video game. But there's but, something about it though that adds just to the whole like this movie is cheesy. It's cheesy. And it's like you can't if you if you can't just get on the ride of the cheesiness of this then like what's the yeah. point? I think I can. I, remember, I think I can ride I, rem- I can ride the ride. I'm just I you know the days that I've been doing my thoughts about this and thinking about it and and researching I've been debating on how I've been honestly trying to sway myself into appreciating the movie more and I would have this little feeling in my gut that just kept saying, but Jack, you don't actually really like it that much. And so I decided basically this morning, I think I'm going to have to be the bad guy on this one. I don't want to be the bad guy. No, no, no. Just not a big I, lover. I respect, I respect the courage that you have to speak the <laughs> <your> truth. <laughs> I, I do feel like I remember, I can recall one theme, at least like one piece of music that was nice. But yes. for a, fan, a fantasy movie has no excuse to not be loaded with yeah. just the most epic and beautiful music you can possibly conceive of. Yeah. So the fact that I can't really recall too much about it and you're saying it sucks means <laughs> it probably it probably sucks. I'll give the love theme its credit. It's it's not a bad theme. You have to splice in some of the love song in it. Yeah. I will. The one give good us, part. I will. Yeah. Give us a bang. I will. Yeah. Give us a good I'll give, one. I'll give, you, I'll give the listeners a good one. Why don't we take a quick break? I'm going to put a bulletproof vest on. (laughs) (laughs) We will come back and we'll talk more in depth about The Princess Bride. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking The Princess Bride. Do you guys want to talk Reiner for a minute? Uh, this I think man, I love him. It's undeniable the run that Rob Reiner had starting just before this movie. His first film, This is Spinal Tap, immediate classic, immediately popular. His second film was a movie called The Sure Thing with John Cusack. It did fine, respectable, but his run really starts after that when he makes Stand By Me. We don't even have to to talk about how much of an impact, how iconic that movie is. And then this is his follow-up to Stand By Me. So he does Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally. All-time, that's top five incredible. favorite movie of my entire life. And I think most people would agree, one of the all-time classic romantic comedies. Yes, the. Then he follows that up with Misery, which is an insanely good thriller, horror mm-hmm. film. Right up also there with the ro- romantic comedy. Yeah, there's some romance in there. <laughs> the genres. He's changing genre every changing movie. Changing genres. And then he follows that up with a few good men. He's basically, with every movie that he's making, he's not only getting more and more critical acclaim with each one, each one is more popular than the last one. A few good men gets nominated for all sorts of Oscars. Then he kind of starts to take a nosedive. His next movie after that is North, which stinks. With Elijah Wood? With Elijah Wood. Okay. I loved that movie as a kid. I can understand nostalgic value for it. I loved it. I don't Dude, really remember much about it, but I loved act- it. He's been in 82 movies <laughs> as an actor. Well, he started great, as, he's he started a great as an actor, actor too. Yeah, he I started as a Rob huge Reiner. actor on All in the Family, uh, which is, he's, he's got a little bit of a Jordan Peele track where he started in comedy, made his name as an actor, and then sort of later in his career decided he was going to start directing and almost immediately became known as a great director. And I think a lot of people think of him as an actor's director, too. Because he was an actor, he knows how to talk to actors. He knows how to get good performances. Actors really like working with him. Um, and yeah, he's a, he's a journeyman. He, he's, he takes scripts of all different genres. And at least at that period of time, he was making some of the best versions of whatever those genres were. But then after that, you're getting stuff like The Bucket List, 
you're getting tons of movies you've never even heard of that just kind of came and went. But that five movie run is almost untouchable. And I feel like what happened was, is he got, we talked a little bit on the Unforgiven episode about the Academy Awards race of 1993. And it was A Few Good Men and Unforgiven were basically going head to head for all the awards. And Unforgiven basically swept that mm-hmm. year. And I got a feeling, you know, I have nothing to, to hang this on other than just like, I'm sure he campaigned hard for Best Picture. I know that Jack Nicholson campaigned hard for Best Supporting Actor. They both lost. They probably both thought they were going to win. And I'm sure after that five-year run of making all these big hits and thinking this is going to, A Few Good Men is going to be the one, the one that gets me the recognition and the awards that I've been going for. Having lost that, he may have just been like, you know what? I did my fucking thing. I proved myself. I want to make fun movies. I, I'm, I'm like not going to try that hard anymore because uh, it doesn't seem like he, now it seems like he makes movies to like hang out with people and have fun and not really try to make the best. Yeah, it's which is great. Which is fun. Yeah, that is it's what totally he's doing. So many people yeah. don't care about the award. And when you have a five movie run like that, you don't, you, you, he's made his mark in, in cinema history. He has like some of like the, the fact that Princess Bride has such a cult following when Harry Met Sally is pretty much considered like the romantic comedy to beat of all mm-hmm. romantic comedies. Probably the top two Stephen King adaptations outside of maybe The Shining. Yeah, Misery is such a classic. And A Few Good Men, like that's so many of his movies. Think about that. Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, and A Few Good Men. Not really Misery, um, but the amount of quotes that are in pop culture, like oh, I'll yeah. have what she's having. Sure. And like, you can't, you can't handle, handle the, the truth. truth. Like it's insane. Yeah. This man has created... So much and for pop Spinal culture. Tap has plenty of that too. Oh well. my god, yeah. Turn it up to eleven. Mm-hmm. Do all those make you cringe, Jack, when you I love all of them hear- except for Princess Bride. <laughs> <laughs> what about as you wish when he says as you wish? Does that make you cringe? Oh, it makes me when melt. who says it? Because there's Wesley. Obviously, Wesley. Uh, you're not. You're kidding me. When he's looking essentially into yeah, the, the audience's yeah. eyes with those beautiful baby blues, and he's like it doesn't make me cringe or anything but that is that's kind of the part i'm talking about that's like just plowing through a story and you just kind of have to like be like okay they're in love when he says like every time he says as you wish he means i love you we're just being told that i'm not really feeling romance in these sequences because because we're just plowing through it so fast because the grandpa is plowing through it because he knows the little boy doesn't want to hear about that but until the end the great turn yeah this movie opens with a very cute Fred Savage. He's so cute. Sick in bed. You feeling any better? A little bit. Guess what? What? Your grandfather's here. Mom, can't you tell me I'm sick? You're sick. That's why he's here. He'll pinch my cheek. I hate that. Maybe he won't. Fred Savage is not into it at first. He's honestly not into his grandpa. He says, he's he's going to pinch my cheeks. Did people ever pinch your cheeks? It wasn't a thing that happened to me. It happened occasionally. It was really fucking annoying. A lot of of family is, is our culture is kind of like Italian, very touchy feely. Mm. So yeah, Yeah. it happens. Not not us. Not us Southerners. We don't touch. We Mm. don't talk. We hold it in. We we bottle up. (laughs) No looking at each other. (laughs) Exactly. No eye contact. What was the other big movie that he came out? Little Monsters. Yes. I loved Little Monsters. Did you ever see that one, Justin? Yeah, with Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel, yeah. yeah. Plays the monster in his closet. I thought under his bed. You're right. It is under his bed. 
Little Fred Savage and little Ben Savage plays his, plays his little brother in the movie. Ben Savage was truly my everything because Boy Meets World was my favorite show growing up. Great sequence too, where they get revenge on a bully by peeing in the bully's apple juice. Ugh, that that really making him drink me. it. Oh, I loved it. He's playing uh, the movie. I think the opening shot of this movie is a video game, right? Isn't it like open on a, like a Commodore sixty four baseball game? Did you ever play one of those? No, me neither. Before our time, I think that was a pre-Nintendo thing. Graphics actually looked pretty good for that baseball game. I had a couple baseball games. Baseball games were not fun on Nintendo. I can't believe I'm old enough to remember playing on an original Nintendo. Oh, yeah. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> I remember it well. I had the Dark Man game. It's a good one. You took pictures. <laughs> uh, he's got a bunch of, did you notice like hit behind him? He had a bunch of Masters of the Universe toys. He had a fun looking bedroom. Mm -hmm. It was some Star Wars cups. Very classic and yeah, very Chicago. One notable thing hanging in his room. Did you see that he's got like this military cap hanging behind him? Black military cap with like the gold leaves on the, on the bill. It says USS Oral. Apparently that is the cap that Rob Reiner wears in This is Spinal Tap. And uh, that was a request from the composer Mark Knopfler. He demanded that that hat make an appearance in order for him to do the score. Weird. Why? No <laughs> fucking clue. I guess he's a, just a big fan of Spinal Tap. Again, this is what I'm. I'm going to say on this podcast, Mark Knopfler, not the guy. <laughs> he's not. The did guy. he do the music for Spinal Tap? <laughs> no, he did not do the music oh. for Spinal Tap. Another Dire Straits song. You know that song? We got to move these refrigerators. We got to move these color TVs. Never heard it. I want my MTV. Oh, okay, I heard that. So the you know how Weird Al, did you ever hear Weird Al's parody of it, Beverly Hillbillies? Beverly Hillbillies. Nope. <laughs> well, another weird requ request from Mark Knopfler that I saw in my research is that when Weird Al requested permission to do the parody for that Dire Straits song, Mark Knopfler said, I will only give you permission to do it if you let me play guitar on the song. And so he did, and apparently he regrets it because he did the guitar solo better in Weird Al's version than he did in the original version of it. That's cool, though. I thought that was That's kind of funny. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, that is funny. Yeah. <laughs> Turned you around a little. Turned me around. I wasn't going to include anything about the hat until I found the Weird Al thing. And I was like, okay, I'll bring up the hat mm -hmm. and then I'll tell the Weird Al. <laughs> no, the Weird Weird Al is a good story. Uh, I had a very similar hat. Remember that hat that I had that was yellow and it had the gold leaves on the bill, but it had like LA film on it and it had a camera on the front. Yeah. Was it the one you found in a parking I lot? Found it in a Mexican me? restaurant parking lot. Yeah. Mm. Funny story about that hat. Wearing it all through LA. I would get compliments on it all the time. People would just go like, where'd you get that hat? That's awesome. I wore that hat in Arkansas and I was getting, Ugh. I was getting checked out at a counter and the cash at register, a Hallmark store cash register lady gave me my change and said, thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh -uh. I don't want stolen valor. Like I had never crossed my mind that the, the, you know, the gold leaves on the bill sort of imply military service. That's exactly something Larry did. <laughs> <No. laughs> so I stopped wearing it in Arkansas. LA, nobody thinks that way. But what in Arkansas, people were fucking saluting me in the streets. <laughs> Somebody handed me a folded American flag one time. I lost that hat in Thailand too. That's it's the floating hat. out. That's in, the hat. It's floating oh. out in Someone an ocean. Someone handed. Wait, wait, wait. He's <laughs> just no. He's kidding. Someone He's handed kidding. you a folded. Up. Okay. No. <laughs> you were just checking to make sure. I was 
But yeah, some some uh, a deep sea diver in Thailand is going to find that hat because we were on a boat and they stepped on the gas and it flew right off my head into the water. And I never saw it again. I miss it. His grandpa is Peter Falk. In kind of old age makeup, eh, I don't. Is it necessary to make him look old? Because it doesn't look fantastic. It's bad. It's bad, but it's kind of funny. It makes me like it. Kind of, I don't know. Adds the fairy tale. I feel like he could have just been his Columbo-y self, and we would have uh, accepted him as grandpa. I brought you a special present. What is it? Open it up. A book. That's right. When I was your age, television was called books. And this is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. It's got any sports in it? Are you kidding? Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. Doesn't sound too bad. I'll try and stay awake. Oh, well, thank you very much. Very nicely. Your vote of confidence is overwhelming. I'm surprised we didn't have like a more Wizard of Oz moment where Peter Falk makes an appearance in the fairy. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, he missed opportunity. He could have been Miracle Max. Mm -hmm. We have uh, we never got to work with Peter Falk, but we had the next best thing. We got to work with Kevin Pollock doing a Peter Falk Mm -hmm. impression. It was pretty damn good. Yeah, he's good. I mean, Peter or uh, Kevin Pollack is known for his impressions. I rec- I had to record his audio without you. What were you? Yeah, I got fucked in that. No, they fucked. He fucked me. You know what? I'm gonna call him out right now. Kevin Pollack, you fucked me. Why? So we did a we did a sketch at Funny or Die called Shark Lumbo. This is at the height of the Sharknado films, and so um, Jake Fogelnest, who was a writer there at the time, wrote a parody called Shark Lumbo, where Columbo was a shark. And um, we were able to get Kevin Pollack to voice Shark Columbo. And so he invited us over to his house to record the, the, the dialogue. And then we said, okay, cool. Jake and Jack and Justin will come. And basically Pollock was like, only two people. <laughs> and we were like, can't be three? And he was like, nope, just two. And so it was like, well, Jake is the writer, so he needs to go. But there's two of us <laughs> and we're doing it together. And it was like we basically had to just rock, paper, scissors for who gets to go over to Kevin Pollock's house and, and record it. So I mm. lost I lost the rock, paper, scissors. And so just Justin and Jake got to go. And that's you know, Justin and, that and him ha- are best friends to this day. <laughs> well, that also <laughs> happened a second time, too. Do you remember when Phil Rosenthal basically pulled the same move on us? Yeah. Another sketch that we were all doing, and Phil Rosenthal was doing a Jewish James Bond, and Justin edited it, and somebody else wrote it, and he invited us over for a movie night where he he was going to have, he had a a brick oven in his house, and he was going to have this famous chef come over and make pizzas. From Moza. Yeah, famous chef from Moza. Come over, he's going to make pizzas, and we'll all eat, and you all. Was it a sheep? Yeah, that's the famous chef. She's yeah. she's gonna make pizzas, and then we're all gonna wow. watch a movie. Uh, like what? Women can't make pizza, uh, Jack. <laughs> I don't. Nancy didn't Silverton. I think well, is her name. the reason why I didn't remember, folks, is because I didn't get to fucking go. Oh, yeah. He did the same thing. He was like, only two people can come, and of course, it was a writer, and and so and 
I didn't get to go. Why did I get to go? Because I because you were the one who was like more hands on editing Mm -hmm. it. If that would have happened today, I think you would have fought for it because we're such big Phil Rosenthal fans. Oh yeah, I I went back too. I went back like one or two more times, and uh, so you did become friends. Kevin Nealon was there. We would we watched like a new. You watched screeners from the the Oscar season. He had a theater with like DCP prints. My dream. uh, So he invited me to like a third one, and I couldn't make it. And as soon as you like, I guess. Can't make it to one of those You're things. Done. You're done. You're just you off the yeah. list. You're done. <laughs> we ran into him at a restaurant recently, and we true story, we really did base so much of our honeymoon off of his episode. Uh, when Thailand. he was in Thailand, we mm-hmm. went to like so many of the same restaurants, and I was like a little bit buzzed. So I, I just went up to him. I interrupted him with his little group of friends, and I was like, I just want to tell you that my husband and I based our whole honeymoon off of you. And he was so sweet. For those who don't know, he has a, he has a TV show called somebody feed Phil. Oh my God. It's such a fun travel show on Netflix. Did you get red fairy tales as a kid? I got red books, like uh, mm-hmm. Goosebumps, stuff like oh, that. Oh, I did too. And I got red fairy tales, but they were the Grimm's fairy tales. And my mm. mom to this day is kind of like, why did I do that? It's like, I don't know, because they did used to fucking haunt me. I don't Honestly, yeah. I could be misremembering, but I don't remember being read too many fairy tales. I remember getting read like Dr. Get- Seuss and Go Dog Go and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But, um, you know, like not fairy tale books like this. I remember being into fairy. Anytime there was a wolf, I was kind of into it. So I liked The Three Little Pigs, Red Riding Hood, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. I was into all that shit. And maybe that's the reason why I'm not, don't have a, a like a, a real soft spot for fantasy stuff is because it wasn't really introduced to me that early. Although I was like big mm. into Robin Hood, both the cartoon and Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner. Big into that. Yeah, show. Robin Hood that was my was and still is my favorite Disney cartoon of all time. Now, do you consider that a fairy tale? I think Robin Hood. hundred percent that's a qualifies. fairy tale. There's just you know, the fact that fairy is in it, I always kind of look for some sort of magical, mystical fantasy element of it. And Robin Hood is a little bit more grounded, right? Is oh, there talking talking <laughs> I know. Is I guess that's for the, you. Yeah, that's true. But we have not even talked but the first minute of this movie. So let's get back into it. <laughs> Peter Falk comes in, he gives uh, Fred uh Savage a book. So he starts telling him the tale of Buttercup and Wesley, a farm boy and a farm girl. She's kind of bossing him around, and every time she tells him to do something, he says, as you wish. But every time he said, as you wish, he meant, I love you. Oh, is this going to be a kissing book? Yeah, bitch, it is. I want more (laughs) of it. So when you were little, you would have been like, skip the violent parts. Absolutely. Give me more of this kissing. Give me that kiss. Yeah, I think Carrie Elway's is perfect in this role. He's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. He is beautiful. This is a perfect age for him. There's something about Carrie Elways as an actor that Elways. he doesn't work for everything. He's very theatrical He's in his style. He's perfect this, though. He has an accent that almost sounds put on and fake, but I believe it's him. But I think there's just some roles he's not meant to, to play. This one feels like absolutely a role he was meant to play. Mm-hmm. I have no. You know, for somebody who doesn't like this movie, you sure are talking a lot about the first three minutes. (laughs) It's been like one hour and we're three minutes in. No. Okay, it's all speed through. He goes to collect a fortune. She hears that he dies. She claims she's never going to love again. They plow through all the storylines. Suddenly, she's supposed to get married to this Prince Humperdinck, played by uh, Chris Sarandon. Do you know that he's the voice of Jack Skellington? Yeah, we talked about it on the Sleepy Hollow episode. Oh. 
I maybe fell asleep. My <laughs> you bad. fell asleep while we were talking to <laughs> Ryan Stanger about <laughs> Chris Sarandon honestly, replacing Danny Elfman as the voice. Oh, I do remember that. I feel like I just didn't connect that. I do remember that. I swear I remember that. But I don't. And then I made a joke. Of, I made a joke about it. Like <laughs> last two, episode. <laughs> last episode. I kind of forgot. Uh, sorry, yeah, guys. Sometimes these podcasts go in one ear and out the other with Corey. <laughs> Sometimes these podcasts are fucking we're all long. Multi- we're yeah. all working on other stuff. We're, we're recording with uh, one ear on the pod, one yeah. on the Well, that really did blow me away. Um, <laughs> when I it's found that cool. out doing my own research. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good work. Did you know that he was actually married to Susan Sarandon and that's how she got her last name? No. no. You didn't see that in your research. Did wow, you? I didn't. Mm-hmm. They eventually got divorced, but she kept the name because she was already popular at that point. It's cool. Um, she ends up getting kidnapped by these three punks <laughs> played by classic punk actor Wallace Shawn. <laughs> <laughs> Who's our good Clueless tie-in. Yes, he's the teacher in Clueless. He's also from My Dinner with Andre. He's a fantastic actor. And I think he's great in this film, too. He's not in it for very long, but he makes an impact. Mandy Patinkin is there too, as well as our boy Andre uh, the Giant. Andre the Giant is so sweet. Uh, fun, good st- energy. Can we still call him that? I mean, that's what his like I mean, wrestler name was, was. That's yeah. what his professional name was. Um, Just asking. He wasn't yeah. a sideshow. He wasn't a circus freak. He was a wrestler. He you was know? a like, professional. He yeah. Name. Oh my gosh. He was such a circus famous wrestler. Freak. <laughs> 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 Justin, my mom waited on him at, at this time period, like right, like 1985. Wow, isn't that fun? Hmm. She was working at a restaurant in Little Rock, and he was there, maybe doing a wrestling show, probably. And she was working at a steakhouse, the same one that she met my dad at. And she met him, and oh. she said that he was so nice. But she said that it made her sad because everybody was like gawking at, like couldn't believe. Mm. And she said that his, that the thing that she could always remember is that his hands were so big that they were like bigger than a basketball that like that. But she was said that he was so, so sweet to her. Yeah. He, he, um, in the documentary that I watched said that the, uh, shooting this movie is really special because it was, it felt like one of the first times where he was just a part of a community and people didn't look at him as like being very different, you know? And Vicini, he can fuss. Fuss, fuss. Think you like to scream at us? Probably he means no harm. He's really very short on Charm. You have a great gift for Ryan. Yes, yes. Some of the time. Enough of that! Percy, are there rocks ahead? If they are, we'll all be dead. No more rhymes now, I mean it! Anybody want a peanut? He was the original choice for it, but originally he he had a contract with WWF, so he wasn't going to be able to do it. They went out to Arnold Schwarzenegger, but Arnold was too expensive. They also weirdly went out to Liam Neeson because Liam Neeson is tall. Wow. But you know why he didn't get the part? Too skinny? He's not tall enough because he's not a fucking yeah. giant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, duh. Yeah, sure. He's like 6'5". Great. He's not going to play a giant. Whenever he picks anybody up, it literally looks like he's just picking up a sheet of paper. Well, so here's the thing about that. 
Okay, because I actually was wondering, because every time Buttercup gets like thrown around, or really anybody, yes, she's a very small woman, but like when Andre the Giant's carrying her, yes, I do feel like it probably is a sheet of paper, but when Carrie Ellis? Always. Always is carrying her, it also looks like he's just carrying a piece of paper. So I was like, is he (sighs) that strong? Like when he's like carrying her through the like... The forest and I stuff. I think he is. He's super strong. But but <laughs> I don't. I don't think strong. the movie film. I, I don't think the the movie could have used like some forced perspective or something well, because he didn't look that big. Uh, oh, Andre the Giant. Yeah, he had giantism. He sure. he had uh, acromegaly, which is a disorder that causes giantism. He's the only yeah, giant no, in his duh. family. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just. I'm just saying the movie could have like accentuated. Oh yeah, how'd they make everybody uh, look so paper light though? So he actually, at this point in time, his his condition had caused him to have a to ruin his back. They said he couldn't lift a feather in reality. Like he he they hired him for his size and his strength, thinking, oh, he's probably not going to be that great of an actor. And then he showed up. And he ended up being a great actor, but he couldn't literally hold anything um, because his back was so bad. So you should relate to him here on this, Justin. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yes, anytime that back he brothers. had to do a fight scene, it's mostly a stunt double who they were able to find a guy that was his size to do uh, the stunts. And when he's carrying around both Robin Wright and Carrie Elways, they have them hoisted up on wires and they're just floating them there and he's just pretending to hold them because I think couldn't. when Carrie always is carrying her, she's gotta be on wires too. That's probably true. He's I mean, just he's like a, he's yeah, not he's, he's too guy. he's so little. Yeah. He drank massive amounts of alcohol to try to mask the pain of his back. <gasps> oh. But because he was so big, he literally had to drink massive amounts of alcohol to feel any buzz from it. And they said that he would literally walk around with this massive, like two liter goblet and just have bartenders and anyone else there to just pour whatever was left over. He would drink concoctions of everything left on the table. This makes me sad. Um it is it is actually very sad. It, he was he was struggling in pain for a lot of the last few years of his life. Life. He died in 1993, um, and apparently too, he would also fart a lot. He liked to fart. <laughs> he he would. Well, you can relate to that. Yeah, I can relate why to is, that. Why is this a fact in the podcast? <laughs> they t- they talked about what? it in the documentaries. They were like, he would fart for like 30 seconds long. It would spoil Damn. the room. The, I, I I remember a few years ago, there was an Andre the Giant documentary that came out and we watched a little bit of it in a hotel room. And one of the portions we watched was a whole montage of all these people talking about how much he would fucking fart. Like Hulk Hogan being like, <laughs> we'd be in our private jets and he'd he'd just gas the pilots. We'd have to emergency land the plane. Wait, Hulk Hogan or Jesse Ventura? <laughs> Hulk Hogan. That, <laughs> the voice you just did is Jesse Ventura. <laughs> That's Jesse Ventura talking about <laughs> some conspiracy shit. <laughs> um, Mandy Patinkin plays Inigo Martoya. They end up realizing they're getting followed by uh, a Zorro-looking guy that they call the Man in Black. I kind of like the sequence where they're climbing up the the cliffside. You it looks kind of like funny. it. It's an iconic scene. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's funny looking. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving it yeah, its props. It funny. It's great. Um, and it's so funny fast. how prolonged it is too. They wait for him. Inigo Montoya wants to fight him very badly, offers to throw down a rope. He doesn't trust him at first. And he's like, hey, look, I promise you that I won't. I'll give you time. He pulls him up. He tells the man in black his story. My father was slaughtered by a six-fingered man. It was a great sword maker, my father. When the six-fingered man appeared and requested a special sword, my father took the job. 
slept a year before he was done. Six-fingered man returned and demanded it, but at one-tenth his promised price. My father refused. Without a word, the six-fingered man slashed him through the heart. I love my father, so naturally I challenged his murderer to a duel. I failed. Six-fingered man leave me alive. So Diego Montoya now has this sword and he's destined, he's been searching for 20 years to find the six-fingered man who he's going to kill. And he has a plan. When he does find him, he's going to say, hello, my name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. So good. Funny line too in this, mo- in this moment where he says, you seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. But you seem a decent fellow too. I hate to die. <laughs> See? You love it. You love I like that line. I like that line. It's a good line. And then they get into a sword fight, and it's a pretty fun sword fight, but it's absolutely ruined by the music. It's just destroyed. You are wonderful. Thank you. I've worked hard to become so. I admitted you are better than I am. Then why are you smiling? Because I know something you don't know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. <laughs> but the sword fight is good. Sword fight's great. They did watch, they claim to have watched every sword fight ever made in order to prepare for this sequence. Not possible, but sure. <laughs> And Manny Patinkin says that they both trained for 40 hours a week, something like that, every single day. And they both claim to have become the best sword fighters in the world. And even Rob <laughs> Reiner was like, I hold our sword fights up to any sword fighting movie ever made. No. And I look, I think they're good sword fights, but guys, you need to relax a little bit on how much you boast about your own movie. He ends up fighting Andre the Giant, too, and knocking him out by, like, strangling him, basically. Mm-hmm. He says, I hope you dream of very large women. Uh, and then he gets into a battle of wits. This is the best one. With Wallace Shawn. Definitely a good scene. I like this sequence. This is a very memorable one, too. It's a poisoned wine sequence. Classic gag mm-hmm. where he's basically stalling and he's going through all the mental gymnastics of trying to figure out which wine he poisoned. He then tries to trick him by saying, look over there, and then switches the, the goblets. Part of me, I can't say for sure, but does this not also happen in, an, in either like Monty Python and the Holy Grail or Robin Hood Men in Tights? <sighs> when I was watching it, I was feeling mm-hmm. like, has this scene been repeated in another like medieval... It might have been, but or this is just burned into your head so much. This is definitely the one, and maybe it is just burned into my head. He gets Buttercup. She thinks he's a a pirate or a villain of some sort. She pushes him down a hill and says, "Die!" And he goes, "As you wish." And then she knows. And then she knows. And I do think it's funny that she throws herself down the hill. Um, Yeah. She lands, and he goes, "Can you move?" And she says, "You're alive." If you want, I could fly. Beautiful. <laughs> it's kind of sweet. Not the kissing again. Can you just skip to the fire swamp? The fire swamp felt very labyrinth. Lindsay Lohan. She's a fire swamp. Jack. <laughs> Did you ever see that video, Justin? It's a horrible video. No, what are you, what are you referencing? Who is it? Brandon... Davis or something? Yeah, somebody that nobody gives a shit about. Some Way like back in socialite. like 2002 or something, there was like 
Paris was Hilton was dating this guy, Lindsay Lohan, and to the paparazzi, and he goes, called her a fire crotch. Lindsay Lohan, she's a fire crotch. And it kind of went viral in that early days of stuff. Yeah, he's and a piece of I, shit. And I guess she was mortified by it. But when I think about it now, I feel like that kind of shit is said all the time about people. Nobody gives a shit anymore. It's like, okay, you're saying she has a red bush. Big deal. Yeah, she doesn't want her bush being talked about <laughs> to a bunch of, by a Lindsay creepy Lohan. dude to a bunch of creepy paparazzi dudes. She's in the fire swamp. Okay, move along. <laughs> now I get your joke. <laughs> now it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you remember the fire crotch, oh my comment, god, no, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com and let us know if you got the joke the first time. Yeah, the fire swamp is kind of cool. Uh, a lot of stagey looking stuff in this movie, but I kind of don't mind. It's still, yeah, that's like Labyrinth. But I will say it doesn't, Labyrinth looks impeccable. This shit don't look impeccable. But I, I'm going to say that the movie's kind of like embracing its. Here's a thought symbols. I had in the, in the swamp scene. Mm-hmm. Um, Buttercup falls into quicksand. Yes. Now, is this where we all like got a fear of quicksand or did we already have a fear of quicksand? Because like, you know, like as a child, there's like so many like quicksand was ubiquitous. Like memes of like, what's the craziest thing about adulthood? And it's like that I've never dealt with quicksand. I think it's like a John Mulaney. Like as a kid, I was Mm -hmm. scared of quicksand. And I'm wondering, is it from this movie? Partially, for sure. I mean, it was turned up in a lot of cartoons and things like that. There's a form of quicksand in the never-ending story. Mm-hmm. I was never afraid of quicksand, but I thought about it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't like actually, but yes, it just like was on would, my mind a when lot. When we would play with my friends, I would be like, there's quicksand right there. No, we're stuck in it. So, uh, like the Bermuda Triangle was another thing that uh-huh. I like referenced a lot as a kid. I feel like it was just more in culture. Yeah. And the fact that mellow yellow would shrink your dick. Mm-hmm. That was, an- that was another classic. One. Mm-hmm. Wow, I've never heard that. You one. never. Heard I could that. testify to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's good and it's worth it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he says we have to watch for R O U S's, which turns out to mean rodents of unusual size. And this big rat that's clearly a little person in a costume comes crawling out, and they wrestle and tussle with it. And in the documentary I watched, they said that they had a couple of little people to play these little these rodents of unusual size. But one of the one of the actors in particular was very good at moving fast, and they were like, "That's the one that Carrie's going to fight." The day that they came to shoot it, he didn't show up. They couldn't find him, and they called the police station. And it turned out he had been arrested for drunk driving the night before, and they wouldn't release him to to go film the scene but they were like he's the only person we got to play this part <laughs> so they had to go like bail him out and i guess convince the the police station to let him go <laughs> so they could film the movie and then he he went to set still drunk from the night before and shot the scene with Carrie Ellis you know you could kind of tell when you look closely at the scene that that's a drunk person <laughs> yeah. crawling around the on suit. the floor you know also another thing we didn't mention is um at one point she gets thrown off of a boat or she jumps off of a boat and there's these like scary eels in the water i thought the eel looked pretty mm-hmm. good eels were cool i wanted there to be a more light- eel stuff yeah. Because they look nice. See, that's fun. It's like little details like that yeah. that build out the world. Yeah. You know? And the and Fred Savage keeps interrupting and being like, but she doesn't die, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, chill out, kid. Why don't you just like stop being such a scaredy cat and listen to the story that Grandpa's telling you? Um Humperdinck ends up finding him. 
We get revealed that he has a, a sidekick played by Christopher Guest. His name is Count Rugen. I can't believe I never... You didn't recognize him. I did not. And the I don't know why. Because mm. he looks... The second I realized it, I was yeah. like, oh my God, that's Christopher Guest. But not until the showing did I connect the dots. Again, good casting. I like him in it. He's not trying to be funny, which I appreciate. Like he's, It seems like he's having fun playing a bad guy. And, yeah, he's And good. when things are naturally... Yeah, when, he's when things are naturally funny, he's funny, but he never feels like he's like pushing for the joke. No. Married to Jamie Lee we Curtis. We gotta do a Christopher Guest movie on this pod. We ought to. We ought to. There's a uh, lot of directors we haven't done. We're getting we through them. We're getting through them. <laughs> um, he's supposed to go escort Wesley back to his ship, but Humperdinck sort of leans over and whispers to Christopher Guest to like kill him. Christopher Guest wants to put him through this machine that he created uh, called The Machine. And it's basically this machine with suction cups that will suck the life out of you. It'll make you age, take eight years off of your life. But in the process, Wesley notices that he's got six fingers on one hand. This is the guy that Mandy Patinkin's been looking for for 20 years. I like this moment when uh, when Carrie Elways wakes up in the, in the dungeon and this albino like henchman comes walking over to him and he goes, where am I? And he goes, the pit of despair. Don't even think. <coughs> don't even think about trying to escape it got me i laughed at that part he did good mel smith plays this albino guy it's a good actor another fun story they had to make him look albino so they obviously painted his face they gave him white hair but they also put in weird contact lenses into his eyes but what he didn't know and what nobody knew is that he was allergic to the contact <gasps> lens solution no that's why his eyes look pretty irritated in these scenes. And it was so bad, so uncomfortable that he claims that he's never watched the movie because it brings up memories of how uncomfortable he was. He That's refuses insane. To watch the Whoa. He needs to go to therapy. Cry baby. <laughs> what do you think about this machine? Well, I thought it was going to stretch him. In my memory, it does stretch him. Well, he describes it. He says this is a machine, it, rather than suck liquid out uh-huh. of you it sucks years off of your life and he does this little thing where he puts it up to one and it sucks on him and he kind of screams and then he's like you are now one year you've lost a year of your life basically um i kind of like the concept of it yeah but i don't love the execution of it because then pretty quickly humperdinck decides he's gonna he gets mad and he cranks this machine up like as high as it can go to 50 and they suck like 50 years off of carrie elway's life and I'm thinking, oh, is he going to look old now? Like, is it what's the effect it's going to have on him? But it doesn't, it just like paralyzes him for a little bit. It felt like a cop out to me. It's like you said, yeah, up this, you wanted to see him his life suck away. Affected, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what that they, been cool. that's what they set it up as. Is what, what I was like, he's not old. What's his deal? Also, missed opportunity for him to turn it up to 11. To 11? I was just about to make the same yeah. joke, okay, Justin. See, I punching, thought the same we're thing. We're punching this baby up. Uh, <laughs> I give you credit, Corey. Justin, you and me. Me and you. As soon as you said but That's 50, the first, yeah, that's like, the second thing I thought <laughs> of, too. Uh, God. Corey, we're the we're same. The, we're, we're, we're one world. true loves. We're the one true in loves. World, you would have never met Jack. Me and you, and then we would have never met Jack, and you wouldn't be in our lives. I know. Just be in you. It's I called know. the opposites attract. You're two. You're two mm. magnets of of negative force. You know, it's a negative mm. and a positive. You would have never made it. Mm. Um, this, we'll never know. Yeah, you're sa- you're sandwiched in between us. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> 
this prop of the machine was actually repurposed from a James Bond movie. It was built for the movie Never Say Never Again. Um, and they just saw it and were like, hey, we could use that. Repurposed it. He gets saved by Mandy Patinkin and Andre the Giant. They take him to Miracle Max, played by Billy, Billy Crystal, Crystal. In, a, in a heavy prosthetic makeup. Carol Kane plays his wife. I love her. As an actress, she cracks yeah, me oh, up. Oh no, she's, she I love her as an actress. She's great. They had a mo they had a fun exchange. They did. Hey. Hello in there. Hey. What's so important? What you got here that's worth living for. True love. You heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Yeah, Sammy. True love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT, a mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. But that's not what he said. He distinctly said, to blave. And as we all know, to blave means to bluff. Huh? So you're probably playing cards and he cheated. Liar! 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 Get back, witch! I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. But after what you just said, I'm not even sure I want to be that anymore. You never had it so good. And I can't believe you don't like Billy Crystal in this. I think he's funny. I just thought he could be funnier, to be honest. But I get it. Funny, he's wearing a lot of makeup. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> this guy's a, just, you're a freaking fire. There's crotch. one moment I do like. At the very end of it, they end up making like a magic chocolate and they say, feed it to him. And then Carol Kane says, Chocolate coating makes it go down easier, but you have to wait 15 minutes for full potency. And you shouldn't go in swimming after for at least what? An, an hour. Yeah, an a hour. good hour. Yeah, an hour. A good hour. That made me laugh. Yes, Billy Crystal is a mm-hmm. comedy genius. Billy, I, Billy Crystal is a little ruined for me. Anytime an actor becomes like a recurring host of the Oscars, mm. I kind of check out. But those were the heydays. That's why you don't like Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> <laughs> There's other reasons why I don't like Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> She's a nasty person. <laughs> nasty. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you what worked for me though. The sequence where Diego confronts this Christopher Guest. I do think mm-hmm. this is a good, a legitimately good sequence. Incredible how he gets his strength back. It's powerful. He goes into the room. He sees him. First, he sees him in the hallway, and he says, well, he, yeah. he says the line, and when the line is over, Christopher Guest just turns and runs away. Hilarious. Very and funny. then when he keeps trying to beat down the door, and the way he screams to Andre the Giant, yes. he's like, please, he's getting away. It almost made me get teary-eyed. Well, and then when he when he gets into the room, and then immediately Christopher Guest throws a dagger at him, it is sort of like, <gasps> he got him. Like, he stuck him in the stomach with it. So then he's got to do this whole fight, like, basically mortally wounded, it seems. Mm-hmm. And he keeps saying the line but then getting his sword knocked away and so he keeps having to repeat it Hello. my name is Inigo Montoya you killed my father prepare to die Hello. my name is Inigo Montoya you killed my father prepare to die Diego Montoya, you killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! It's a good sequence. It's a good sequence, folks. And then he finally gets the upper hand. He slashes Christopher Guest across one of his cheeks and he says, offer me money. And he goes, yes. (laughs) Power two. Promise me that. Slashes him again on the other side of the face. All that I have and more. Please. 
Offer me everything I ask for. Anything you want. Stabs him in the stomach and he says, I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Kicks him against the wall. Pretty good. good. I got to give props, credit where credit's due. Thank you. It's a good moment. It's a great moment. Have you seen that clip of Elon Musk trying to quote this moment too? Oh my God. No. He's like in an interview and he is like, there's a famous line. Oh my God. Offer me money. No, you you can offer me power, but I don't want it. <laughs> he just like totally botches the line, and people are like, "Is he trying to quote the Princess Bride?" <laughs> Elon Musk, a fucking idiot, folks. I hate him. Mandy Patinkin said that his father died of cancer before this movie, and that he imagined that Christopher Guest was the cancer that killed his father. Whoa. He said, I imagined him that he was the cancer. And he said, and he felt once he was done shooting the scene that he had, in a way, righted a wrong. Like that he had spiritually killed the cancer that had killed his own father. And what problem do you have with that, Jack? What what do you hate about that? This is cheesy. I didn't say anything. I'm just reporting what I heard in the documentary. Mm -hmm. I have nothing against this. This moment Mm -hmm. But you didn't like his delivery. The way way he said it was Listen, that I'm okay with. He was too proud to to overcome his mental obstacles. Look, the scene works for me and so whatever way he had to emotionally get there, it worked. So I salute him. I say thank you for your service. Who cares about the fucking scene, Jack? You overcome the trauma of a lifetime. Well, and I guess I'm happy for him too. Um, I'll never watch that scene the same way again now. Thank you for making the movie even more meaningful. You interpreted something out of me that I wasn't putting out there. I'm teasing you. (laughs) Just teasing. I'm joshing you. Um, I'm razzing you. Kind of a funny moment, too, where Buttercup thinks that all is lost, so she she decides she's going to kill herself. She puts a dagger up to her chest, and all of a sudden you hear Wesley in the background go, there's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It would be a pity to damage yours. I find that to be a weird line. I did like that line. Of <laughs> course. Of course. It's just a funny moment. You don't even know he's there. She embraces him. And then I will say I really like this moment, too, because Humperdinck comes in. He pulls a sword on Wesley, and he says, to the death. And Wesley says, no, to the pain. To the pain means the first thing you lose will be your feet below the ankles. Then your hands at the wrists. Next, your nose. And then my tongue, I suppose. I killed you too quickly the last time. A mistake I don't mean to duplicate tonight. I wasn't finished. The next thing you lose will be your left eye, followed by your right. And then my ears, I understand. Let's get on with it. Wrong! Your ears you keep, and I'll tell you why. So that every shriek of every child at seeing your hideousness will be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps at your approach, every woman who cries out, Dear God, what is that thing? will echo in your perfect ears. That is what the pain means. It means I leave you in anguish, wallowing in freakish misery forever. I thought it was a pretty good speech. And the speech itself pretty much freaks out Humperdinck. He stands up and Humperdinck just surrenders, which I did think was kind of lame. It's a fairy tale, Jack. At the end, he we're just trying to drops wrap this his sword. He's just like, okay, never mind. They yeah, because he's a pussy, and this proves it. They he's tie a him pussy. to a chair. Andre the Giant calls out from the window, and they run and jump on the horses. 
and ride away into the sunset. We cut back to Fred Savage in the room. No, 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 no. You're skipping over the big kiss. Oh, sorry. Give, a, give us a kiss. That's the biggest part. You tell us the kiss. Well, then the grandpa's like, oh, and then oh, there's yeah. just some kissing. We don't want to see that. And then the whole freaking, from the beginning, we get the arc of now Fred Savage is like, well. What? What? Now it's kissing again. You don't want to hear that. I don't mind so much. Okay. Since the invention of the kiss, there have been five kisses that were rated the most passionate, the most pure. This one left them all behind. And then you see the close-up. The, oh, In beautiful. a lot of ways, this is a coming-of-age story. Yes! Fred Savage is actually learning a little something about himself. Yeah, he's probably going to whack it off tonight to buttercup imagery in his head. And he wants to do it tomorrow, too, because he says, Grandpa, maybe you can come over and read it again for me tomorrow? And he goes, as you wish. And winks at the camera. Mm, 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 Love mm, it. Mm, I kind of like it. My I liked that as you wish. Yeah. Um, originally, the original ending was that Fred Savage was then going to turn and look out his window and Wesley and Diego Montoya and Andre the Giant were going to be sitting outside of his window on horses. Like Labyrinth. It was going to end like the Labyrinth, yeah. Wow. I'm glad it didn't. Me too. Yeah. Because they don't have a good David Bowie song to go out on. Yeah, dance magic, dance please. <laughs> you know what they you know what they have? They have this Mark Knopfler song to go out on. Oh come my love, I'll tell you a tale of a boy and girl Sounds great. and their love story and how he loved her oh so much all the charms she did possess. This did happen once upon a time. Tell him. Got nominated for an Academy Award. Best original song. (laughs) There's like too many words. (laughs) When this started rolling, then this does play during the end credits. And when it started, Corey said, all right, turn the movie off. And I said, no, I'm going to listen to this entire song. (laughs) Well, folks, let's take one more break. When we come back. We'll give final thoughts on The Princess Bride. We'll be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking final thoughts on Rob Reiner's and William Goldman's The Princess Bride. The William Goldman said that he wanted to write a story for his children. One of his daughters said, you should write a story about a princess. And then his other daughter said, no, I think you should write a story about a bride. And he said, okay, I'll do both. Is that true? That's cute. They wrote The Princess Bride. Justin, I'm going to start with you. Final thoughts on The Princess Bride. I think you bring up a lot of valid points, and you're 100% wrong. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you you, You bring up valid points, and I think it's making me reflect on the nature of what makes a movie good and what makes a movie bad. And sometimes I think that looking too hard at something takes a little bit uh away and mm-hmm. sometimes it's better to not look at all the stitches and just appreciate the experience or the art or the movie for what it wants to be rather than what you wish it could have been right or or, or appreciate the movie for what it is rather than what you wish um it could have been and yeah i agree there's some things comedically that don't work for me there's some things um that don't align with my sensibility. I think it could the movie could be even more magical and more fantastical and more labyrinth and better music soundtrack and all that stuff. But I I understand why people love it and why it's so iconic and a cult classic. And I had a good time rewatching it. I watched it with a group of people who have never seen it before. Um and they also felt mesmerized by it and it was really cool to get to see see it with younger people who've never seen this before and who it wasn't nostalgic and they still appreciated the movie which showed me there's something here that's working yeah timeless i can't quite figure out all of it Mm -hmm. but i think there's something undeniable about it and that deserves respect and recognition so yeah i'm i'm uh i'm coming away with a renewed appreciation for the movie, uh, a warmth that a fantasy film of this era brings that a lot of newer stuff does not. And I don't know, I don't want to assign a number to it, but I would say seven feels about right for me. Out of 10? A seven out of 10? Seven out of 10. It's sitting close to the top, but it's got some problems. And... Nostalgia alone and cuteness alone are not enough to make this an eight or a nine, but it's all around, I think, a movie that I would return to. I couldn't agree more with Justin. (laughs) Just couldn't even agree more with him. I think this movie is a solid seven. (laughs) I think this movie is a solid seven Uh for all of the reasons that Justin says. And it does make me think that there are some movies 
that are just better to just watch and let wash over you and you don't have to like deep dive every little thing. This has happened before where I've been out on an island of my own with like when we've gone and watched Tom Hanks movies with like You Got Mail is like one of my favorite feel good movies. And and you guys had a lot of problems with that movie when you watched it and everything that you brought up was totally I was like, yeah, I guess I do see that. But like that's a movie that's similar to Princess Bride to me is a movie. It's like, no, it just makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. It makes me laugh. I like the characters. I don't want to think about all of these other things. Yeah. And so that's very where Princess Bride lands for me. I see everything that you're saying, Jack, but it just kind of doesn't matter to me because it's holds a lot of nostalgia. It's also sweet. It makes me feel good. It goes by in a flash. Like this movie begins and ends before you know it everybody's beautiful and cute and funny and it's just i like it hey i get it. i know what it's like to have nostalgia for something that maybe other people don't i'm the guy who was out there going to bat hard for wolf you know i was out there <laughs> fighting for why i love the fucking temple of doom you know and i can i can acknowledge the flaws that both of those movies have and i can acknowledge why certain people wouldn't like the movies uh, so it's, you know, I'm just on the other end of it this time where I am that person that's just not connected to it from a nostalgic standpoint. Um, and, and, but I don't think it's a terrible movie. Uh, I wouldn't really choose to go back and watch it again. I don't plan on buying that criteria. Except disc. for like when we have children, I, this is such a movie I can't wait to show like a kid. I could wait, but it's just, I'm not against it. They can, they can, they could watch it. Wouldn't have any issues, but. I'm not going to be like, a bitch. I'm not going to be like, you got to watch Princess Bride. I got a bunch of others before it. Oh, uh, what? Michael Mann's Heat? <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we've said everything there is to say about the Princess Bride, what do you say we play? The Fairy Tale Quiz. That's right, folks. It's the Fairy Tale Quiz. And if you get right down to it, Every fairy tale has only one problem. For instance, in The Princess Bride, Wesley and Buttercup are madly in love. There's only one problem. She thinks he's dead. So can you guess these fairy tale movies by their one problem? Let's try. This is not multiple choice. You just have to know the movie, motherfuckers. Here we go. Question number one. A young businessman falls in love with the girl of his dreams. There's only one Corey, problem. Pretty woman. Why don't you wait? Oh, sorry. This is the fairy tale quiz. Oh, <laughs> pretty oh, woman. Kind, kind of a fairy tale. Yeah, like, yeah. Everybody wants to date a stripper, <laughs> prostitute, <laughs> sex <Sure>. worker. Oops. <laughs> Canceled. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me complete it. A young businessman falls in love with the girl of his dreams. There's only one problem. He's fallen hook, line, and sinker for a fish woman. Corey. Justin Splash. Mermaid movie. God damn it. Ding, ding, ding. Justin gets the point. It's Splash. Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah, and our old pal, Ron Howard. You might know him as the brother to Clint Howard. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone knows Clint Howard, but did you know he has a brother? (laughs) Okay, question number two. A small suburban town receives a visit from a big-hearted castaway. There's only one problem. He's got a dangerous deformity. (laughs) 
Justin Corey Edward Hunchback of Notre Dame. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, Justin damn. gets the point. Good job, Justin. <laughs> All right. Corey, you got to get on this. I know. I, don't I thought you knew Hunchbacks. Here. Why would the Hunchbacks <laughs> deformity be dangerous? For his health. For his own health, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Question number three. A teenage juvenile delinquent goes over the river and through the woods to get to her grandma's house. There's only one problem. She's being hounded by a charming yet sadistic serial killer pedophile. Justin Freeway? Ding, ding, ding! Wow, good job. That's right. That's uh, Reese Witherspoon? Reese Witherspoon and our boy Kiefer. Kiefer. Kiefer Sutherland. Great Danny Elfman score in that one, too. I saw him in real life once when I first moved to L.A., and he was... Kiefer? Tiny. Mm. Very, very, most people very, are. Very, very little. Unless you're Andre the Giant <laughs> or Liam Neeson, you're probably pretty small if you're an actor in Hollywood. It's rather shocking. You know Liam Neeson has a, a reputation for peeing his pants in public? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> no, he doesn't. If you yeah, there's Google, actually so if many If you pictures. Google image search Liam Neeson... Pee pants or piss pants? <laughs> There's so many. You are gonna get like insane. thirty results from yeah. different different pairs of pants, different nights. Are you sure that's not like a Richard he's, Gere? He's posing. Story. He's posing outside of bars with Just people with Google a big it. old red face smile. And is it his fetish? Is it his fetish? He just let it might just be a condition. Off it might it. be just a more of a condition. <laughs> Maybe he's just like so excited to get back to the conversation he's having that he just leaves the bathroom while it's like yeah. he knows there's diapers. I like because right? it's it's always in posing with <laughs> pictures of drunken people outside of bars. I like to think it's like a joke that he likes to play. Like I'm gonna pose with these people, and when they take the pants? picture, I'm gonna piss yeah. my pants. Great joke, and they'll see it when they get home. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a funny way to fuck with somebody <laughs> to because they would have no idea to, <laughs> to put yourself in the most vulnerable position you possibly can just to spoil a photo yeah. for somebody else. a photo you'll likely never see because <laughs> you don't know these people <laughs> okay Corey, you have zero points justin has three you gotta catch up if you, want to get, if you want to win this fairy tale quiz. Question number four. A mute janitor falls in love with a man at the lab she works at. There's only one problem. Uh, She's fallen hook, of water, line, and Corey, sinker shape for of a water, fish man. Shape of water? Is that <laughs> shape right? Shape of water. Yeah, yeah. okay. Shape of water. This is the second time you used hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> well, it's the that second. That means there's going to be rule. The rules, rules of three rules of people. definitely coming in again. Coming back. Okay, question number five. Corey's on the board. Points on the board for Corey. A young competitive ballerina lands the role of a lifetime in the big dance. Justin Corey Black, Black Swan. Swan. <gasps> Justin got it first. What? Though. That was a tie. No, he also said his name, too. He was able to say both his <laughs> yeah, name and knew, the title I of the movie knew, before you. Before you. <laughs> I said Black Swan at the exact same time as him. Roll the tapes back. All right. 
Justin has five points. Corey has one. And I knew it oh, earlier. No, Justin has four points. I just Corey. had already gotten literally yelled at by you in the first question. I said, let me finish. <laughs> so I was trying to be respectful. Well, because you got it wrong. You, were, you got Justin, the Justin, you shut your right. goddamn mouth. You weren't even in the right shut genre. Shut your goddamn mouth. Okay. Okay. Question number six. A boy goes on a journey of discovery to regain the love of his mother. There's only one problem. He's a robot. Corey AI? Ding, ding, ding. Okay. Corey has two. Justin has four. We have a final question here. So this one is for all the marbles. It's going to be a hook, line, and sinker. An apartment building superintendent cares for a woman he saves from drowning in his pool. There's only one problem. Corey, lady in the water. He's fallen hook, line, and sinker for a fish woman. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Corey there wins is. the fairy tale quiz. Y'all didn't think I could do it. Y'all didn't think I could. You know, sometimes it just feels good to get to get the most questions right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that, that way everybody wins. That's what a loser would say. <laughs> just kidding. Well, that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials. Those are our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about all sorts of shit that has nothing to do with our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. And Justin, you want to let the people know what movie we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're talking Rob Reiner's 1989 romantic comedy, When Harry Met Sally. Ooh, Billy Crystal, eat your heart out. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Bye, bride. That's dumb. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> Inconceivable. <laughs> As you buy. <laughs> my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to buy. <laughs> <laughs>